Prince of Flowers by J. Howard Shannon. Chapter 1. Red Flowers. Beauty surrounds us, but usually we need to be walking in a garden to know it. Rumi. The convoy exited the gorge and the valley floor opened before them into a cultivated expanse choked with red poppy flowers stretching wide and long toward the khaki-brown hills five miles distant. The road they traveled, a light brown scar in the otherwise uninterrupted red. The six up-armored Humvees had their gun turrets pointed so that every other vehicle could scan the opposite side of the road. The last vehicle's turret was pointed straight back, covering their rear, the foremost forward. Judy fucking Garland, where's the Emerald City, said Lieutenant Michael Cuppin, call sign Destroyer 1-6. Cuppin, the convoy commander, was imbued with a whimsy the other soldiers in his platoon didn't possess. Captain Antoine Dupre rode two vehicles in front of Cuppin in the passenger seat of Destroyer 1-3, the lead vehicle of the convoy. He looked at the waving red blossoms and thought of Flanders Fields, the blood-soaked turf, that sprouted the less potent poppies or corn roses, as they were known, innocent among the thousands of dead on that battlefield of the First World War. His Canadian great-grandfather had died there. He knew the poem that immortalized the place, and he spoke the first lines out loud. In Flanders' fields the poppies grow, between the crosses, row on row. No crosses out here, he thought. Cuppin's voice on the radio called the convoy to a halt for a piss break, instructing the men to keep a sharp lookout for flying monkeys. Dupre winced, shook his head, and continued staring at the poppies as his Humvee rolled to a stop. Cuppin put the mic down and looked at the magical scene through the ballistic glass of his windshield. If Dorothy and her pals are on the road ahead, I'm going with them. His driver, Specialist Jerry King, glanced at the lieutenant and thought, They wrote, If I only had a brain for that dipshit. The soldiers took turns dismounting their vehicles in order to keep the guns manned. Some gathered flowers, while others relieved themselves standing at the side of the road. The Humvees, like snorting rhinos ready to charge, were left running in case they needed to make a hasty departure. After a few minutes, the flower pickers, carrying their freshly harvested poppies, remounted and adorned their vehicles with the deadly blossoms. Their turrets, windshields, and antennae bloomed red in the hazy afternoon sunlight. Specialist Tim Jeffers, the gunner on Sergeant Michael McCauley's vehicle, the fourth in the order of March, had an entire bouquet of flowers sticking out of the smoke grenade launchers to the right of the turret. Very pretty, Jeffers, said Sergeant McCauley. They match your lipstick. Okay, fun's over. We have some natives coming up on our right. You keep your eyes on those three hajis approaching to our left. McCauley turned and watched a dozen men and boys rise out of the poppy field on the north side of the road. Several came from behind a small earthen shed 50 meters away. They were dressed in gray shalwar kameez, or man jammies, as the soldiers referred to the local garb. All carried hoes and shovels, just farmers tending their fields. A light wind billowed their clothes as they stood motionless and returned the stares of the soldiers. "'Look at these fuckers! They don't even give a shit that we're here,' said Macaulay. He stood by the front passenger door. As Jeffers turned his body in the turret to get a look at the other poppy farmers to his rear, McCauley snapped, Turn the fuck around and keep scanning your sector. These guys are covered. Jeffers returned his attention to the two men and the small child, 30 meters in front of him. With the appearance of the locals, Dupre decided to get everyone refocused on the mission. All destroyer elements, this is Raider 05. Nobody do anything stupid. Remember your rules of engagement, break. 
Dupre let up on the microphone switch for a few seconds as their communications protocol dictated. He had hitched a ride with this platoon, and they were doing him a favor, and rightfully, he shouldn't have been telling them how to run their business. That was Lieutenant Cuppin's job. But he outranked Cuppin, and he didn't want these inexperienced men doing anything rash while he was traveling with them. He depressed the switch on the mic. Fire only if fired upon. Haji doesn't look like he wants a fight today anyway. Break. Remember, this is not an eradication mission. Don't get all wound around the axle about the effing poppies. Break. We're not fighting the war on drugs. Confirm, Destroyer 1-6. Over. Roger that, Raider 05. We're just following the yellow dirt road, Cuppin chimed in with a smile. He pulled his camera out of the small camouflage bag he kept next to his seat. He wanted to get some photos of the farmers in the scarlet field. Specialist King bent his Kevlar-helmeted head forward and lightly pounded it on the steering wheel. Hey, sir, let's get the fuck out of here. Wait one, young specialist. How often do you get to see the Land of Oz? With the camera in one hand, Cuppin rekeyed the mic with the other. All destroyer elements, this is Destroyer 1-6. Acknowledge my last transmission in order, over. 1-6, this is Destroyer 1-1, acknowledged. 1-2, acknowledged, over. 1-3, roger, over. 1-4, roger, over. 1-6, this is Destroyer 1-5, Wilco, over. In the lead vehicle, Dupre nodded and tossed the mic back on top of the stacked radios. He opened the 400-pound door of the vehicle, stepped out onto the road, and gave his prematurely old paratrooper knees a much-needed stretch. Good. Dupre did a half-pull on the charging handle of his assault rifle and confirmed a round was in the chamber. He let the charging handle slide forward and he looked back at his driver and then up at his turret gunner, who was now facing to the right toward the larger group of farmers. Now, if the LT would mount up and get us moving the fuck out of here, we might just have a good day. Then he heard the sound of an argument. He walked to the front of the vehicle and looked across the hood to the field on the left side of the road. There were two Afghan men, one holding a hoe and the other a shovel. They seemed to be having a heated discussion about the convoy. There was a small boy dressed in a gray shalwar kameez and brown jacket standing between them, holding a poppy flower in his hand. One of the men seemed more animated than the other. Dupre heard him say, Nada ya! Not that one. As he raised his shovel to point at a vehicle further back in the convoy. A chill ran down Dupre's spine, finding its way to the pit of his stomach. Back on vehicle 1-4, Macaulay heard Jeffers grumbling from behind his weapon system. This is bullshit! You know they sell that shit to pay for goddamn guns and explosives to use on us! This is fucking bullshit! Before Macaulay had a chance to tell Jeffers to calm the fuck down, it was too late. Contact left, Jeffers yelled over the chugging blast of his fifty caliber heavy machine gun. The first well-aimed burst vaporized the head of the insurgent poppy farmer, pointing the weapon at him, flinging the body sideways. Well, maybe it had been a shovel, thought Jeffers, but he couldn't be sure. The heavy bullets dug up dirt and flowers, launching both into the air as he shifted his fire left over the head of the child to catch the second man. Metal ammunition links and spent cartridges tinkled like wind chimes as they bounced off the turret and down the side of the vehicle. The thump-boom of the Mark 19 automatic grenade launcher on the trail Humvee, its turret now facing to the left, delivering its 40mm grenades in a cascade of anti-personnel hell, sent a palpable shockwave up the column of vehicles. The rounds blasted fountains of flowers and soil and the other insurgent farmer several feet skyward. 
Dupre had taken cover by the front wheel of his vehicle as the firing started, but now stood and could see the farmers on the right side of the road were still standing and not firing anything. He had heard contact left shouted over the radio. The soldiers facing north had been disciplined and hadn't fired on the unarmed men on the right side of the road. Dupre nodded to himself and then leaned into his vehicle through the open door, grabbed the mic and called cease fire three times. The gunfire stopped after a few seconds, the echo of it rolling across the fields to crash softly into the distant hills like spume on a desert beach. The gunners, with their turrets pointed to the north, the ones who had held their fire, now watched the lucky farmers in front of them, some with sheepish grins on their faces, others with poison in their eyes, sink down among the poppies as if in quicksand. Silence fell over the scene. The soldiers' heads felt stuffed and ached from the combination of deafening gunfire that had battered their unprotected eardrums and elevated blood pressure, born of imminent peril. Dupre got on the radio again. This is Raider 05. Who called contact left? Who initiated fire? Over. The radio stayed silent. Dupre rebroadcast his question as Lieutenant Cuppin crawled out from under his gun truck, his camera bent and the glass lens smashed. It was at this moment the gunners lost their discipline to their curiosity and they swung around 180 degrees to look at the smoking, flattened sections of the poppy field on the left side of the road. Cuppin walked towards the lead vehicle while Dupre, on the north side of the road, turned and, shaking his head in disgust, started walking to meet him. From the corner of their eyes, they simultaneously detected movement in the poppy field. Six farmers popped up from the red blossoms like jack-in-the-boxes. They were spread 15 meters apart, and they fired six rocket-propelled grenades, one for each vehicle. Cuppin and Dupre were both in the process of raising their weapons when the staccato drumming of an old Soviet machine gun started, and they hit the ground, taking cover by a roadside berm. The machine gun fire wasn't meant for them, and it pounded the last three vehicles of the convoy as the boom-whoosh-whistle of the RPGs, loud and present, raced towards their targets, passing six feet above them. If Jeffers had ever planned to own up to having called contact left, he missed his chance. His head puffed into a lumpy cloud of pink and hair and Kevlar amidst the heavy Russian 7.62 caliber rounds tweeting and buzzing like birds and bees all around him. Three of the RPGs found their mark, blasting the turrets of the second and third vehicles, killing the gunner in the second and wounding the gunner in the third, Cuppin's vehicle. The third RPG round disabled the last vehicle in the convoy with a tire strike. Within seconds, all the turrets that could, 250 calibers on the first and fifth vehicles, and the one remaining Mark 19 on the disabled trail vehicle, swung back around to face the right side of the road and immediately laid waste to the poppy field. Dupre and Cuppin propped their weapons on the berm by the roadside. They fired in the direction they had seen the men rise up from the poppies, the bullets kicking up dirt and cutting stems in front of them. They heard Specialist King shouting over the gunfire into the radio, reporting the attack to their higher headquarters. Valor Base, this is Destroyer 16 Alpha. Troops in contact, break. RPG and small arms fire, break. Grid 4589006723, break. Time now. The small stone and mud shed used to store tools and other more volatile things began to come apart under the combined barrage of weapons. Within seconds, the small structure detonated, sending a gray-black mushroom cloud into the air flattening the plants in a circle 50 meters wide. Bits of men, garden tools, rocks, and poppy flowers rained down on the fresh-cut vegetation. 
The smell of grass, gunpowder, and guts wafted back into the faces of the soldiers who stopped firing and scanned the devastated scene with bulging eyes, their chests heaving. Cuppin ran back to his vehicle, and a moment later his voice came across the radio. All destroyer elements move 1,000 meters due west on the road, then form a perimeter. Destroyer 16, this is 1-1. Hold. Our vehicle is disabled. All crew accounted for. We're moving to 1-5. This is 1-6. Roger. 1-5, when you have them, give me an up and we'll move as a group. All elements keep scanning your sectors. Sergeant McCauley radioed in a flat voice. 1-6, this is 1-4. We have 1 KIA. Cuppin looked at the mic. His throat tightened and he responded. Roger. Sixty seconds passed while the crew from the trail vehicle, Destroyer 1-1, set thermite grenades on the radio sets. They managed to pull the Mark 19 from the turret and throw it in the back of Vehicle 1-5, climbing on top of it, burning their hands and legs on the hot barrel in the process. Vehicle 1-2 called in with a casualty report of an additional KIA, and 1-5 announced they had the crew from 1-1 on board. Cuppin gave the order to move out, and the vehicles roared as they sped away leaving a cloud of yellow-brown dust swirling behind. The vehicles set up a perimeter, guns facing outward. The eastern arc of their battle position faced toward the valley floor, where the single burning vehicle sat on the road a kilometer away, smoking like a cone of incense in a red bowl. Lieutenant Cuppin called in the nine line for the medevac and requested air support to find and finish off the rest of the insurgents. Valor Base let him know that the quick reaction force had already left the gate and if the Apache attack helicopters weren't obligated to the special ops guys, they would be sent to his location. Specialist King was in the back seat of the vehicle, bandaging the head of the gunner, Private First Class Jackie Coglin, who was unconscious and bleeding from the years. Fuck the lame-ass ROE, King said. We should have fucking hosed them as soon as we saw them in the field or just kept driving. Flying monkey, sir? Yellow dirt road? What the fuck? No place like home, huh, Dorothy? Cuppin stared back at King and said nothing. Dupre stood nearby and watched the exchange. Then he made his way to each of the other vehicles in the perimeter. To a man, the crews wanted to turn their guns back on the field in the hopes of obliterating any insurgents still hiding there. Sergeant McCauley, sitting on the hood of Vehicle 1-4, its turret painted red with Jeffers' blood, matching the flowers still jammed in the smoke grenade launchers, told him he wanted to set the valley on fire and shoot every living thing that ran out. Dupre returned to his vehicle and leaned against the door, letting it take some of the weight of his body armor. He looked back toward the smoking vehicle in the road and the blackened depression where the mud hut had been. All around the devastation, the poppies waved and quaked in the hot wind. You've been listening to Chapter One of The Prince of Flowers by J. Howard Shannon. This audiobook is brought to you by Radio Free Galisteo. You can support Radio Free Galisteo by going to www.radiofreegalisteo.com and clicking on the Patreon button. For Radio Free Galisteo, I'm John Shannon.